0: I'm Nadia, dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor, and welcome to Good Enough Nutrition the podcast. A space where we chat all about nutrition and well-being, intuitive eating, body image, and a sprinkle of all things periods and hormones. I'm here to remind you that guilt has no place near our food or bodies and that you are good enough as you are, always. So let's dig in. Hello beautiful people, welcome back to the pod. In this episode i had the absolute pleasure of chatting to kate lane who is a fellow dietitian and the name of the episode really says it all if you're interested in gut health or have ibs or digestive symptoms this is the conversation that you did not know you needed during the episode kate and i chat all about how kate came to the work via her own gut issues What is pelvic floor dysfunction? We talk about the gut-brain connection and top-down versus bottom-up approaches We talk about diet culture and the gut. Of course we do because I squeeze it into every episode when we're talking about gut health And we also talk about what is ARFID and how it can show up If you don't know what ARFID is, you'll have to listen because we define that acronym in the episode but Everything I said, as she said, I agreed with 100%, and I must have said 100% about 100 times in the episode when I was editing it back. And that's just because she made some really great points and she really is a wonderful dietitian. So if you enjoyed this episode, if you agreed with what she was saying, please go give her some love over on her Instagram at kaitlaine.dietitian. Or screenshot the episode, share it to your stories and I will repost it. So please enjoy the episode with Kate. Today I have the absolute pleasure of chatting with Kate Lane. Kate is a dietitian and credentialed eating disorder clinician who lives in sunny Brisbane. She offers nutrition therapy for clients out of a couple of different locations as well as supervision for dietitians. As well as undertaking further postgraduate counselling study, you are a busy bee. (laughs) Kate knows the importance of the therapeutic relationships and sees her clients as as whole people with life stories, values, goals, symptoms, and in-body experiences, and she makes sure these are considered in her collaborative work to improving people's nourishment and eating patterns. Kate is a very much a multi-passionate person with a special interest in anxiety and mood disorders, eating and feeding disorders, neurodiversity affirming and trauma-informed care, and everything to do with the gut. Kate and I actually met back when I was living in Brisbane, and we were both part of the eating disorder dietitian community. We crossed paths many times, but I can't actually recall if we've ever met in person. So I'm thrilled to have you here and have you all to myself for the next hour or so because I truly admire the work that you do and even more than that I really admire the energy and values with what you bring to the work. So thank you so much for being here Kate. Oh thanks for having me Nadia, good to be here. So the first question I always kick it off with is what has been lighting you up recently?
1: Well um Professionally lighting me up I would say is the shift and interest towards more neurodiversity affirming care lately Um, and I'm I'm hoping that's even more so a spark for our field to move towards more and more listening and lived experience informed and affirming care so um, I've just been really happy that's been on the radar lately and everyone's really into it. Uh, personally, just this beautiful weather, like I know it's getting really hot up here in Queensland, but I have just been loving like the clear days and the beautiful beaches and like really making the effort to get outside. As well as I am having so much fun planning a wedding at the moment and that gives me a great non-work brain distraction to kind of turn to at the end of the day
0: or on the weekend. So uh, that's a lot of fun. So many amazing things. Congratulations on your engagement. Thanks. Uh, that's very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yes, I'm very jealous about the weather because down in Victoria, it's it's hit a miss at the moment. Um, in terms of neurodiversity affirming care, I, I think I'll have to get you on the podcast another day <laughs> because I cannot <laughs> wait to hear more about that let's park that one yeah park park that one um but I'm really interested to hear how you got into doing the wonderful work that you do and you can go as far back as it feels relevant
1: right and so on gut health if I speak to gut
0: health or like it's so broad
1: yeah I know
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's broad isn't it
1: I might might speak to the more um yeah gut health aspect of it I suppose Because um, I, I kind of led into my interest in EDs and stuff anyway. So um, my uh, childhood experience was one of very significant gut issues. Um, my parents would always say I just was the problem gut child, I suppose. Um, so, you know, ever since I was two, even you know, even younger, I had really, really terrible constipation um, that no one could kind of ever figure out why. Um, it went through my whole childhood and adolescence. I saw so many specialists, It, you know, even non-medical people kind of went down the non-Western medicine route as well. Once we started feeling hopeless and, you know, did all these crazy things, many of which I would not recommend to my clients these days. Um, just really desperate for answers because I was in so much pain. It was so awful. Um, and so, yeah, I had this experience of pretty significant uh, symptoms that looked a lot like IBSC, so that constipation type with lots of gas and pain and bloating through most of my childhood. Um, and and even, yeah, ended up with the understanding of being gluten intolerant, which later turned out to not be the case at all, which I only found out this year and I'm 28, so Uh, It it was a wild ride. And looking back, um, I guess the more informed I've become and now working in this space in the functional gastroenterology and pelvic floor space, I've come to understand, you know, probably really what was going on for me was a pretty significant pelvic floor dysfunction or sort of poor technique on the toilet that none of us were aware of, um, as well as a bit of a gut-brain axis disorder coming from being an anxious perfectionist and a dancer who, you know, always was told to tuck their, you know, suck their tummy in by the, you know, dance teacher or particularly my dance teacher had when I was very young. So um, looking back, there were probably a lot of things that was actually, you know, the reason why I had so many issues. Um, but it was just really hard to get answers, particularly as a a young person. There wasn't, no one talked about the stuff that I now talk about with my patients. So got interested in that really from like an empathy standpoint. Um, I felt I had a really tough experience where there weren't any answers and felt all that pain and hopelessness over time. Um, and I suppose the other, other way I became interested was when I then got into, um, eating disorder work or disordered eating work and relationship with bodies I really liked that space of work because it was a very it really required holistic treatment it was really a mind body view that you needed to have to to kind of support people in that space and I started to find out okay like almost everyone I'm seeing has serious gut issues too a lot of them similar to what I experienced and so Yeah, it became very apparent to me then that in the eating disorder space, the the gut issues there are this real mind, body, nutrition paradigm that really needs more attention than it gets, I suppose. So all of that led into my great interest in, yeah, functional gut stuff.
0: Yeah, it's so nice to hear kind of your story because I think, although often as dietitians, we don't usually share our lived experience (laughs) unless the timing's right. Yeah. But I think it, it speaks to the empathy that we often have with clients and sometimes the direction we go down and um, our ability to look at people as whole people and now to go, I get it. <laughs> I really yeah. get it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think we've had a couple of conversations on social media about nutrition and the gut mm. and especially around that pelvic floor dysfunction because I was really surprised that I hadn't actually heard about the pelvic floor really and it's rolling gut symptoms until after a few years of working as a dietitian, because we do actually cover some functional gut stuff in our in our university degrees yeah right? a little bit like yeah, this much bit <laughs> <IBS. laughs> yeah 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 but then we don't actually learn at least historically we haven't learned about the role of the pelvic floor yeah. and I I mean I'll definitely have a wonderful pelvic floor physio on this podcast in future uh which is exciting but I would actually love to, because I think a lot of our listen, my listeners don't know the role of the pelvic floor in gut health. So I'm wondering if you could speak to that.
1: Yeah, well, I'm so glad you're having a pelvic floor physio on <laughs> soon who can even give it more description than I will be able to. But um, there are so many ways that the pelvic floor can sort of dysfunction that can contribute to our gut symptoms and even some of our trouble with food and, and diet. Um, Some of the different ways are what we call defecatory technique. So the way that our um, bodies are trying to evacuate stool or or clear the rectum, the coordination of muscles and and the technique of, you know, tensing and relaxing and breathing can be a bit off and that can cause problems trying to actually go to the toilet. Um, We have another area called um, pelvic floor disinertia. So, um, again, that's a very specific different types of discoordination of, of muscle activation and relaxation that, again, can cause trouble um, evacuating your bowels. Then we've got changes with sensitivity in the in the rectum, so hyper or hyposensitive. We can also just have straight, you know, too tight or, or too loose as a problem down there. And then we've got all of the, you know, concerns that can come off the back of... Um, either changes post surgery, um, or or if there's been any kind of damage or structural change in the area, either from childbirth or yeah again surgeries people may have needed to have. Um, so there's you know both both kind of functional neuromuscular ways that it can dysfunction down there, as well as structural ways that it can dysfunction. Um, And all of that, you know, can cause a great deal of these gut symptoms we talk about all the time. Um, Incomplete emptying, constipation, bloating, diarrhea, you know, gas issues. So uh, I was I was also really surprised that I didn't learn a lot about it literally until I was working in the space. And then my Mm -hmm. mind was just, you know,
0: Mind blown! Yeah, yeah, same. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and I think that was such a good description because the the differences that people can experience are so varied. Like yeah. I see a lot of people with pelvic pain mm-hmm. and that um uh, tight pelvic floor, but yeah. it can be structural, like you said. Absolutely, so many yeah. options. So I love it when people have seen a pelvic floor physio ideally before they see me. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I find that often. Yeah, some of the techniques that I would have used in the past, you know, the classic fiber fluids don't have as much of a benefit if we're working with some kind of pelvic floor dysfunction. Have you found the same?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've found that the, you know, we we do have our classic kind of dietetic strategies around fiber modification and fluid and even sort of supporting people to work that in with their uh, laxative regime. They might've been prescribed by their doctors, but I've found that it does need to be really carefully matched and paced to the progress that's occurring with pelvic floor rehabilitation, because if we get the match wrong, then we come up against big problems. You know, I suppose, uh, particularly if you work with more tight pelvic floor, I wonder if you've noticed, uh, you know, sometimes that tightness and that difficulty relaxation and emptying completely. If we have way too much fiber and really big stools, that's going to have a lot of trouble getting out. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I found we really have to modify and, and pace according to well the, where the pelvic floor is at to get better outcomes, at least at the start. And then hopefully eventually we can get where we want to go with that optimal strategy. But, I, yeah, I've definitely found that, too.
0: Mm. Yeah, and I think like the question that probably comes to a lot of people's minds is like, how would I know if I had an issue with my pelvic floor? Um, And I wonder, what do you think? Do you think it's better to save that question for when a pelvic floor physio comes on or do you want to give a bit of an overview? Um,
1: Yeah, I mean, I would love to hear the pelvic floor physio put it. Um, One of the things that I just really standard ask about that sometimes starts to get my mind ticking is whether they experience a sensation of incomplete emptying or difficulty initiating like emptying their bowel as in not getting very good urges or they know something's there but it won't come out or it won't come out completely or they kind of only get part of it out and they can feel like there's still part there or having to wipe a lot, like they feel like they can't get clean after they've you know had a bowel movement, just stuff like that. Um, sort of gets my mind ticking over a little bit, and yeah, again, not our place, I guess, to diagnose or know what kind of pelvic floor dysfunction. But I just sort of start thinking, oh, I wonder if there's a bit of a bit of that problem
0: there, maybe. Yeah, mm, yeah, yeah, such a good screening question. That's yeah. um, what we call incomplete evacuation is kind <laughs> of that technical term, isn't it? Yep. And then the yep. other one I often ask is, do you feel like you need to strain? Because, yeah, great you know, one. Often.
1: No, we haven't been taught that. That's not <laughs> the correct
0: Absolutely. strategy. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Or
1: getting or getting a lot of hemorrhoids. That is the mm. other one. History of hemorrhoids, repeat hemorrhoids, fissures, anal fissures, um, which is sort of like where the the skin splits and breaks apart around the anus and you get kind of bleeding and pain, trying to have a bowel movement. And that's another good screener, I feel.
0: Mm, yeah 100 and then once someone has seen a pelvic floor physio and you're working in tandem i find that those nutritional based strategies can be so much more effective um, it's absolutely. kind of like yes. a match made in heaven isn't it yeah and <laughs> I, I know you work in a pelvic floor center so you know <laughs> yeah i'm super
1: super lucky to work with um a team of really wonderful experienced pelvic floor physios and a pelvic floor nurse practitioner, um, as well as the specialists there. So
0: gosh, it does make it easier. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And um, I guess one thing that you mentioned when you were talking about pelvic floor, conditions of the pelvic floor, you were talking Mm. about that coordination between Mm. the pelvic floor and the mind. Yeah, And what came to mind for me, uh, because it's kind of linked in with the gut as well, isn't it? That our our all that whole area, pelvic floor, that gut, like it's yep. like a little jam-packed sandwich down there. So there's a lot going on and there's a lot of nerves that lead up to the brain. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons that might be interesting for some people to know that the Rome Foundation, who are a kind of scientific research body, renamed uh, you know, disorders of the gut that used to be called functional gastrointestinal disorders to uh, disorders of the gut brain interaction yes. in 2016, I think it was, because they wanted to highlight that connection whilst also being very clear that this is not in your mind, your it's symptoms are in real. your head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's absolutely a role that the mind plays, and we often can't get as effective um, improvement in symptoms without you know, giving some attention to the mind as well. So I wondered mm-hmm. if you could uh, talk to how the mind plays a role in our gut health as well. Oh, gosh, yes, yeah, so mm. much, which, which, is, <laughs> which is why I
1: got interested in it in the first place. And I really should refer to them as DGBIs or disorders of gut-brain interaction more. I'm kind of stuck on the old language a little yeah. bit. Sometimes <laughs> they functional. But um, I suppose when we think of disorders of gut-brain interaction or... or gut nervous system brain Mm. interaction because you've kind of got the brain and then the nervous system is connected to that with all of our nerves and then those nerves are connected to our gut and our pelvic floor so thinking about the influence the brain and that nervous system can have we know that it has the power to you know um, send stress signals down and so that changes the instructions i guess that the brain and the nervous system is giving our gut and our pelvic floor so that might mean you know pay attention is there threat like let's be really sensitive to whether there's a threat here or move faster or move slower or you know be tight let go um you know the gut and the nervous system gives so many different instructions brain and nervous system give so many different instructions to our gut all the time so that can play out in many different ways for people. Some of the probably easiest examples to give is that some people will find if they get really nervous or anxious about something, um, they might that might trigger them to feel like they need to go to the bathroom. Like they might get loose stools or diarrhea or indigestion after eating. So if they, they eat and they're in a bit of a tense state, like an angry state, you know they might get more gut pain after. Or maybe if they're in a rush in the mornings and really stressed out, they might actually not get proper cues to go to the toilet or, or might not be able to effectively empty their bowels as well. So, yeah, that the mind of the nervous system and how it communicates can really change our experience of of our gut symptoms, of our bowels. Um, but also I have found our... Yeah, our interactions with eating and, and how we feel when we eat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 100%. And I know I've certainly seen people that have, um, have gone through the gamut of trying to do strategies to improve their gut symptoms and have done so many things to the point that it's created a lot of fear around food I don't know you've probably seen that as well
1: haven't you a lot a lot yeah yeah Yeah. and that's not good that's you know that's not good to interpret food as now a potential threat Mm. and if we're anticipating threat my goodness that's going to communicate straight down to the gut and it doesn't go very well sometimes
0: yeah yeah so it's both this kind of balance of like being able to be aware of the patterns with our gut symptoms and noticing what makes it, you know, better or worse or neutral, but also not necessarily paying too too much much attention attention to it. (laughs) And I think that's what you've spoken about before, isn't it, is that kind of amplification of Mm. attention to our gut and what that does to our symptoms. It's kind of like that saying, energy goes where attention flows, yeah I got that yeah (laughs) yeah can you speak to that
1: yeah a hundred percent so it's I mean this is not everyone but Mm -hmm. there's certainly people that I've met where um, they've had some really awful experiences with their gut and I and I can certainly relate to that Um, and and humans just try to make sense of things the best Mm -hmm. way we can it's sort of like if we see a red stop light enough times and the cars stop in front of it as a kid you eventually learn oh yeah like red means stop so we we draw inferences we kind of make assumptions based on our observations and the mind is always looking for patterns that way so the brain can kind of start to do that with our symptoms and with our food so the brain can sort of go well i've learned that every time i eat i tend to feel sick so now I've made the assumption or I've made the interpretation that food is going to make me sick and I'm going to feel this way afterwards. Or, um, whenever I leave the house, um, you know, I don't know what's in the food and therefore maybe I'm at more risk of getting gut issues after because I don't know. So now I'm going to kind of, Get more anxious about that, um, and then it can trigger the gut symptoms. <laughs> mm-hmm. The other the other way is um, not just over attention to food, but over attention to the gut symptoms themselves. So if we're paying maybe a bit too much attention and getting a little bit um, overly anxious, which does make sense when people have had bad experiences if we're paying too much attention in the mind to our gut symptoms, that can kind of make them bigger and bigger and worse and worse. So if I start getting a tummy ache and I go, oh my goodness, am I about to get really bad diarrhea? Yes. Yes. I think this symptom is going to get like, I'm really worried now. Yeah. I think it is getting worse, you know, and we sort of maybe start to catastrophize a little. And then all of a sudden we have initiated a full blown kind (laughs) of, gut reaction and it's a real reaction you're not imagining it it's a real reaction but the mind can really get involved in this kind of snowballing or amplification
0: effect unfortunately um Mm. for some people in their experiences a hundred percent and i think people would be so interested to hear you know tips and tricks on how we can support ourselves to minimize the chance of that happening. But before I go down that path, I actually wanted to ask your thoughts on how diet culture plays a role in this Mm -hmm. as well, because you mentioned, you know, the stoplight and we learn to associate, you know, stopping with that stoplight. I often see similar a similar situation where people might see a certain diet online, like low FODMAP, for instance, and uh, which can be very effective for some people as well. And then when they start to kind of think, oh, that's going to be the solution okay. and there can be so much fear created around those foods without... I guess paying enough attention to how that fear is then impacting the symptoms, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes. So that's one way it can show up and like low-fodmap mm. is absolutely evidence-based I wouldn't call it diet culture by any means. No. No. <laughs> but there is absolutely I think other things that come into that space like uh you mentioned in your intro actually sucking in your belly when you're a yeah. dancer and trying to hold that in and how and not realizing how that i ideal of having a flat stomach is actually probably impacting your ability to have happy gut health. So diet culture gets its (laughs) sticky fingers into every space, including gut health. And I wondered if you could speak about your experience with that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, it is multidimensional, isn't it? Um, there's, There's the thin ideal aspects where firstly, like bodies bloat like guts are supposed to bloat. I don't know if anyone knows this or like recognizes, but our intestines are literally like this moving, twisting, twirling, like pulsating. They have so many motions. Our, intest- our stomach, our intestines, our bowel has to go to to actually do its job. And so our bodies are supposed to be like soft and, and flexible and maybe stick out a little bit after eating because we've got to create the space for the gut to do its job. So there are big problems when we're walking around sucking our stomach in all of the time or wearing very tight fitting clothing that we can't really kind of breathe out all the way and relax into um, or even even just, you know, people kind of being anxious or tense that like not even breathing properly, just breathing up in the chest, you know, that that creates problems. So, yeah, thin thin ideal has a bit to answer for, I think, there as well as maybe just that over-focus on bloating, you know, as bloating being this like thing that we must get rid of because it's not normal. Like guys, it's, it's absolutely normal. (laughs) Bodies should bloat a little bit. Um, so yeah, diet culture gets in that way. Diet culture, I think also gets involved, I suppose in a similar way to in the, in the weight loss space where, uh, we sort of get given this message that our body weight and shape is under our personal control. And if we just get it right with diet, then we will be able to control it. And it will be exactly what we want it to be. And I think, unfortunately, diet culture gives the same message about gut health. You know, so if you just get it right, if you just follow the right diet, if you just, quote unquote, eat clean enough, then, then you should be able to control your gut health completely. And if you haven't controlled it, you're getting it wrong, you're doing something wrong. And I've seen so much harm in that message. And and so many people feel like complete failures, you know, because they can't control, quote, unquote, their their gut and what their gut is doing through f- controlling their diet, Um it's an, it's an awful headspace to be in because it's just not the case. Food is just one tiny element of what, you know, influences our gut health. So, yeah, I think there's the perfectionism, you know, over-focus on food as the central point of control and ability to control what your gut is doing. And then there's the whole, you know, not, not giving our bodies the space to be bodies and
0: mm-hmm. be
1: bloated, move our intestines and all those things.
0: Yeah. I love that you normalize that. Like, yes, bloating shouldn't be painful or, no. you know, look like you're, you know, six months pregnant, which a lot of people, a lot of my clients with pelvic pain struggle with. Yep, yes. To an extent, some bloating is so normal, especially yep. after meals. The food yep. has to go somewhere. doesn't yeah. it?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And when we try and stop it from doing that, when we, you know, suck in while we're sitting at the meal or when we, get really upset about feeling a bit bloated after the meal and try and suck that in. Like we're, we're really
0: doing ourselves and our bodies a disservice um, and it can create more problems, unfortunately. Mm, 100%. And then there's that overlap as well, that we see between actually anxiety and functional gut disorders yep. as well. And absolutely. so I always like to say like, it's, it's absolutely not your fault you're getting gut symptoms no nope. <laughs> no way, shape and form, but it, and if we can support You holistically, yes, might look at the nutrition part. Yes, absolutely, the pelvic floor. And how can we look at like your nervous system and your mental health and supporting that? Because a lot of the time that's the you know, missing piece as well as the pelvic floor. There's a lot of missing pieces, but that's one of those missing pieces as well. And I know that you both work in that pelvic floor clinic, but you also work in a psychologist clinic as well. So I feel like you've got the best of all the (laughs) (laughs) worlds. Trying to put a foot in every camp. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so I guess I wanted to come back to that question around strategies for Hmm. when we do feel... Um, nervous or anxious around eating, or we find that we've gotten into this pattern of over-focusing on our gut symptoms, what are Mm. some of your top tips to clients to help kind of relieve some of that anxiety? Mm. So it's it's
1: probably a very, it's probably very individual. Um, Some people benefit more from a top-down approach using more like thought-based work. Other people, I think, benefit from a more bottom-up approach and using more sensory and body-based kind of strategies. So suppose if we're using um, top-down kind of work, we might put some effort into um, just noticing any of those um, automatic thoughts that might be happening. So sort of feeling a symptom and then thinking, oh, my gosh, that means this is going to happen and that always happens and that, you know, some of those Black and white thinking, catastrophizing, um, magnification, minimization, all of those type of thinking errors, I guess, that psychologists talk about. So we might try and pick up on whether any of those are happening in response to experiencing gut symptoms or in response to food or eating. Um, And we might just kind of just start to become aware of whether that's the case. Um, And then over time, Um, either try to shift that thinking a little bit away from the extremes of this always happens or this 100% means this is going to happen to me now. Um, Or or we take more of approach of like, okay, that thought maybe isn't going to help me so much. Let's just kind of let it float on. Mm -hmm. You know, my brain um, wants to throw up the alert signal, but I've now learned that's not very helpful for me. So let's just kind of let it float on. I don't really have to pay attention to it. I can just keep going about my day. So um, we might use some thought-based kind of stuff as we're working specifically about food and eating and, and gut symptoms. Or um, from a you know body up or, or bottom up approach, we might use something like alternative sensory inputs alternative pleasant sensory inputs so let's say the the mind is kind of really over focusing on a very uncomfortable sensation in the gut and we notice that it's tending to amplify the situation and get very spirally in our head about it we might try and use something um, else that we can feel in another part of our body so um, pleasant smells or pleasant fabrics or kind of hanging out with the dog or weighted blankets on the legs, anything that kind of helps tell the body, okay, yes, that's happening over there, but there's other stuff happening in other areas of the body and give that brain that kind of alternative inputs um, so that it can't just focus on this one area. <laughs> um, so I do like alternative sensory inputs sometimes as a way to kind of urge surf discomfort a little bit.
0: Mm. Mm, I really love that distinction in terms of that top down, bottom up that you use and being able to tailor that to the person that you've got in front of you, I think is so, so helpful because I guess in my experience, what I've found is that we've often historically looked at top down and some people don't find that helpful or as helpful as they need and then adding in that option let's see what happens when we do bottom up Mm. can be such a lovely alternative um, Mm. or or in conjunction with the top down stuff as well
1: yeah absolutely absolutely actually uh, one that another one that's come to my mind I don't know if you've come across some of those gut meditations Mm. um, that are out there some of them are so nice and there's sort of some Uh, symptom specific, you know, relaxation gut meditations you can do to kind of get the mind to relax a little bit, breathe more deeply, you know. So, yes, it's got a bit of mind involved, but it's quite a body relaxation kind of exercise people can do. So that one just popped into my head. I love that stuff as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, Insight Timer or even yeah. just YouTube can have some great ones, can't it? Yep. And, I mean, I am highly biased because I've almost did it's finished True, studying my hypnotherapy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited. Yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. how cool. Yeah, I think it speaks to that idea of um where we focus our attention and mm-hmm. you know as humans our goal is to always feel safe right that's how our totally. body's main goal is keep you safe keep me alive and so we do often focus on the negative because that's what keeps us out of trouble and yes absolutely we gut symptoms we often focus on Gosh. those negative sensations but even um, fear around food as well what's this eating experience going to be like and how is it going to impact my body yep. and so the thing I love about hypnotherapy is it's like no wonder you're experiencing negative symptoms from all that kind of negative thinking it's almost like that self-fulfilling prophecy isn't it yeah (laughs) so it's it's like how do we add in some positive experiences um which are very evidence-based and actually support you to then yeah predict more positive experience which in turn create positive experiences. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I think the more we, however we do it in this process, the more we can create uh, safer or not as bad as we thought experiences Mm -hmm. around gut and food that can really start to unwind some of that, yeah, predictive or anticipatory process that's uh, messing with our mind-gut connection.
0: Yeah, 100%. Thank you for that little overview. I think that's really helpful. Um, And so I guess because you've come into the gut space, like myself mostly, through the lens of eating disorders, haven't Mm. you? Yes, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, you have your own experience as well and actually coming into that gut space has been, it sounds like helpful for your own experience. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But we know that up to 98% of people with eating disorders have, you know, functional gut symptoms as well. Yep, yep. Uh, and I'm wondering if you can actually speak a little bit about that overlap or we'll cover things that we haven't already covered in that space. Mm, mm, yeah, there's a huge overlap. Um,
1: and it's a little bit, as you would know, chicken and egg, really. Um, there's a very high rate of functional gut disorders in eating disorders. But in, you know, in the reverse, I suppose, a lot of people who um, develop a disorder of gut-brain interaction and will go on to experience disordered eating or possibly even an eating disorder. So it's, it is quite chicken and egg, unfortunately, um, which makes it hard to pull it apart. But there are some really common um, factors, I suppose, across the two. So for many people experiencing a disorder of gut brain interaction, there is a heightened awareness and focus on the body. Um, and maybe it's you know, rather than just weight and shape, it might be over focus on how the body is feeling. But overall, there's this heightened focus on the body. Um, there's also a heightened focus on food and perhaps even some um, restrictive eating. And it might come from different intentions, you know, so either the restrictive eating might be based on the um, weight and shape concern, or I guess in the case of Alfred, maybe sensory aversions and these sorts of things um, in the disorder of gut brain interaction. If you're feeling really awful all of the time in your gut, you often don't really feel like eating. You also might, as we said before, become um, more aware that, you know, certain foods seem to feel off after you eat them. So yeah, this process of increased focus on food, perhaps restricting food, um, even to the point of malnutrition in both spaces, you know, so and eating disorders, obviously, and we know it can occur that people, you know, don't eat enough over time. And then all of your body systems start to dysfunction, including the gut. And that's often how gut brain into gut brain problems, you know, arise, but even in, yeah, disorder of gut brain interaction, uh, that again, I feel really horrible all of the time. I seem to feel horrible after eating, eating less, even if they didn't really mean to, and then eventually becoming undernourished, which, unfortunately just reinforces the problem so that's that's the main thing i kind of tell people in both spaces is that unfortunately once we get to malnutrition space like that really reinforces gut brain dysfunction because now the malnutrition itself and the body's lack of access to adequate energy to do what it's got to do well well, now things are really going to start to go wrong with gut motility and gut emptying and you know all of these things so in both cases if we get to undernutrition, um it's really not going to help the gut problem so that's often the first target of treatment really in both spaces if that's
0: a factor it, you mentioned it can be chicken and egg so it can start yeah. with the gut symptoms or it can start with their eating disorder but there's that strong overlap and nutrition lack of nutrition makes it worse and I think often people yeah. hear the word malnutrition or undernutrition and think oh no that's not me but even like it's a spectrum right and even yeah, like, absolutely. mild undernutrition can absolutely still have a negative impact on the gut and absolutely. I often, one fact that I love is that the gut is the gut cells are the highest, have the highest turnover of all the cells in the body. So if we're, if they're not getting nourishment, then you can imagine that those cells themselves aren't very happy and don't have that lovely kind of gut integrity that we're looking for. Hey. Yeah, absolutely. Plus the gut bugs down there start to
1: get really hungry because we're not feeding them properly. And so you add in the gut dysbiosis kind of picture with some unhappy gut bugs and not a good picture at all. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, 100%. And I think for those people that for whom it does start uh, with that focus on the body, Mm. uh, often it's that body weight and shape, but it can also be, you mentioned the sensory area and you mentioned ARFID, which I think a lot of people probably might not know that acronym, which means Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder. So I'm sure people are like, what does that mean? (laughs) So can you actually just briefly talk about like what is ARFID and how that comes into it?
1: Yeah. Yep. So ARFID um, avoidant restrictive food intake disorder, that's one of the newer eating disorders in the the DSM-5, which I suppose is where most of our mental health diagnoses sit. Um, And there's sort of different um, uh, subtypes, I suppose, or ARFID characteristics um, one of them is just a, a really persistent, prolonged lack of interest in food, no appetite, not, not just that transient lack of appetite that comes from under eating or, or being recently sick. We know that that happens, but sort of people who persistently just don't have interest in food at all. You've also got the subtype, which is, um, kind of being wanting to avoid food or having food aversion due to sensory characteristics. So how it's presented, the smell, the texture, the mouth feel, the taste, those sorts of things, um, and the other subtype of arthid being fear of aversive consequences, um, and it's that subtype in particular that has a huge overlap with disorders of gut brain interaction, um, because as we said, the you know the brain learns what's going on, it likes to look at patterns, so. Um, if the brain learns over time, okay, eating is not a nice experience, I feel sick after, I get gut symptoms after, and we start to unfortunately avoid food or be worried that food is causing the problem, then people can kind of also end up with a bit of an Arthur picture happening where they're developing undernutrition and they're having trouble going out to eat and they get really anxious around food. And in that Arthur space, it's, it's specifically not to do with, you know, body image concern per se or, or you know, um, over focus on weight and shape. It's really about, yeah, this kind of fear of aversive consequences or sensory characteristics type. So we get a big overlap between those gut brain disorders and, and Arthur space, particularly when people have had really tough experiences for a really long time. Um, it can start to show up.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think what came to mind for me as you were talking, because we have truly covered the whole gamut of information today, is just like whatever avenue, like if you heard yourself in any of our conversation, whatever avenue you heard yourself in, whether it was that pelvic floor dysfunction, Mm. whether it was those gut symptoms, whether it was um, the impact of how you feel about your body or your weight or shape, Or the other areas of our food, like fear of adverse consequences or sensory issues or just lack of interest in food. Like, what if you saw yourself in any of that? Like, I think the important message is there is help out there. And there is help that um, doesn't just focus on one little piece of the puzzle, like nutrition. (laughs) It's like the holistic help that we're looking for, isn't it? Absolutely. And yes, nutrition can play a role.
1: We sometimes use you know, parts of, okay, is this food causing a problem, blah, blah, blah. But it's the over-focus on that that's the issue. And we don't want people to feel like elimination diets and particularly cutting out foods forever is like the only option they've got. There are a lot of different options, um, multimodal options to deal with this problem. And for most people, these disorders have got brain interaction and how they cross over with eating issues. The treatment really, truly, truly is multidisciplinary it's it's very rare that you'll be able to just use one single modality and get you know complete resolution we often need multiple great minds together um, to get a really positive outcome because yeah as we said it's not just one single factor so Mm. there is help out there um, and you need a
0: great team uh, to help kind of get you there Before I, we let people know where they can access your great mind. (laughs) Um, Do you have any uh, resources that might be to do with anything we've spoken about today or completely different topics? Do you have any wonderful resources that you like to recommend for people? There
1: are, yeah, there are a couple of places where you can read a little bit more about disorders of gut brain interaction. I think you mentioned before the Rome Foundation. Um, So they are kind of one of the peak bodies that came up with the criteria and the names for all the different disorders of gut-brain interactions. So they are fantastic. Um, There's also a couple of um, online programs that help with some of this, how the mind gets involved kind of stuff. Uh, There's a more... Uh, top down kind of thoughts driven one, and I can send you the link, Nadia. I actually forget what it's called off the top of my head, but you can put in the notes. Um, there's a more yeah, CBT thoughts driven one, little program you can do online. I'm pretty sure it's free, which is amazing. Um, and there's also, I'm sure some people have started to see advertisements for Nerva, um, which is another one, more that hypnotherapy style, um, which is just kind of a toe dip in, I guess. That's maybe one thing I'd say about Nerva. It's Wonderful to have something like that accessible in an app, and you know, similar to why you would come see a dietitian one to one. There's a lot of power in seeing someone trained in that gut-directed hypnotherapy one to one as well. So, um, yeah, there's there's a couple of different resources out there to kind of get your hands on on the online world, um, but it's also really really helpful to come and see someone one to one for these things as well.
0: I will put all of those
1: in the show notes. And where can people find you? Uh, okay. Well, um, mostly Instagram. I'm actually averse to TikTok. I don't TikTok. <laughs> um, so just Instagram, really. Um, my handle is kate lane um, And I am currently working at the Queensland Pelvic Floor Center in Bowen Hills and Grey Mind Psychology in Paddington, both in Brisbane. So you
0: can find me there as well. Wonderful. I will put those in the show notes as well. And, yes, please go send Kate some love over on Instagram, not TikTok, on Instagram. (laughs) Uh, And yeah i really want to thank you for sharing your time energy and presence with me today like it has been such a joy talking about these topics and i cannot wait to catch up another time to talk all about neurodiversity (laughs) and care and everything else we didn't get to today (laughs) everything else thank you so much for having me it's been really fun thank you so much for listening to good enough nutrition if you have thoughts or questions from today's episode hit me up over on my instagram at on nutrition if you have a moment to rate or review the podcast that would be amazing or share that you're listening on your stories and tag me i absolutely love to see it as always remember that guilt has no place near our food or bodies and you are good enough as you are always Peace. <laughs>